Welcome to the Family Worship Center podcast. Each week we bring you our message from our Sunday morning services at Family Worship Center in Beaumont. During the holidays, we just want everything to be picture perfect. We want Ozzy and Harry style Christmas. We want, you know, the Brady Bunch where in, in 28 minutes everything works out just great. We hope you find this message encouraging. This morning uh, I had a message that I was putting together and it's just continued to grow and kind of change in some ways, so no hopes that I will get done with this message, but um, I'm going to be talking about Jacob and the whole thing that I started out, the thought that I started out with was wrestling lessons. That's one of the things that we remember most about Jacob is he wrestled with God and prevailed, and so um, the that kind of morphed into a whole lot different thing because, uh, you know, especially here at Christmas, we are visiting with family, we're visiting with friends, and, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing. Uh, if you've got a great family like I do, and, and thanks so much for allowing me the privilege and honor of escaping last week, got to visit, with, hadn't seen my brother in a little over two years, so I got to visit with him, and of course, saw my folks, and we had a great visit up there, and uh, awesome things. But sometimes it's not all that great, sometimes when we get together with families. Sometimes we hate to admit that, but there's sometimes this strained, that's uh, kind of awkward when we get together with family. And it wasn't the direction that I was headed originally with this message, but I got to looking at Jacob. And if you've ever done a little study on Jacob and his family, they put the dysfunction in dysfunctional family. I mean, Dr. Phil would have a ball with this family. And uh, so as I got to looking at it, the, my introduction is going to be very, very long for a, a fairly short message. So I'll, I'll do the rest of the message next week. But my introduction is probably going to be today. And it just happens that way sometimes, y'all. Um, this family is is about really it all goes back to the parents. And Isaac and Rebecca had two sons. They were twins, and they were so much in, at odds with one another that even in the womb they strived with one another. Fact is, when the when the time came for for these two babies to be born. Uh, the one that was born first came out, and he was a hairy little fella. Uh, if you just think about it for a moment, sometimes we pass over things in the Bible about what people were like and how they, how they acted, but this, this kid came out, and it said he was like woolly, red, and so much so that later on, and we'll get into this deception later, but Rebecca actually had skinned out some goats and put on his hands and on his neck, so if... if Isaac touched him, he would think it was Esau. Now, any of y'all ever petted a little baby goat? I mean, it's a furry little critter. So evidently, the backs of his hands and his neck were pretty furry. And so you just get this picture of this guy. He is rough. He's woolly. He's outdoorsy. He's everything that, you know, he's a man's man. And Jacob was the other one. And he came, when he came out, Esau came out first and here's this woolly little fella, and before he could even get his foot out of the womb, Jacob's got a hold of his heel. That's how much they strived even in the womb, and the rest of their life was no better. 
And so he was therefore named Jacob, which it's according to who you look at what it means. Supplanter, which means somebody that overthrows, somebody that undermines. Uh, but the word sounds like, if you look it up, it sounds like the same word in, in the original language as deceiver. And so because he came out of the womb attached to, to Esau's heel, deceiver. How would you like that as a name? I mean, it would kind of affect how you felt about yourself. It would kind of affect how other people thought about you. And so these two babies grew up together, and uh, as time went on, the parents played into this, and they played favorites. Isaac liked venison. And so Esau was his favorite because he would go out and kill a deer from time to time, and all the hunters said, <laughs> he'd fix up a little venison stew for his dad. And so dad was like, yeah, he's my boy. It actually says that Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, Jacob was smooth. He was not a hairy person. I mean, this is the two opposite ends of the spectrum. He hung around the house. He didn't have much, you know, much to do with the outdoors and that kind of stuff. And, and just the two ways that, that kids can go. And so the parents here were playing favorites. Esau, I mean, uh, Isaac's like, Esau's my boy. And Rebecca's like, Jacob's my boy. And so all this comes about, Esau's been out hunting in the field, and this is no small thing. He gets hungry, famished, I mean, to the point that he is literally, what he says is, I'm going to die if I don't get something to eat. And so Jacob just happened to be in the kitchen, and he had some little stew, some soup, whatever you want to call it, fixed up. And Esau comes in, and he says, if you don't feed me, I'm fixing to die here. And Jacob, being the deceiver, he says, what would you trade for it there, big boy? How about you give me your birthright? Because during these times of patriarchal society, the firstborn son got everything. It was his inheritance. Everything was going to be passed on to him. So he says, how about you give me everything that dad's going to give you? And Esau was one of these people that lives for the moment. And he said, what good is it going to do me to have an inheritance if I die right here? Bring it on. So they make this, this ill-gotten trade of birthright. So Esau doesn't think anything about it. In fact, it says, basically says he disrespected his birthright by doing that. So nothing more really comes of it for a while. But as time goes on and these boys are getting, getting to be grown men, they're, they're full-fledged. Sometimes in the Bible we don't put ages with things, but it says that, that he was about 40. Jacob was. And Esau too because they were twins. And so the day comes when Isaac is about to die. Dad's about to die. He's about to breathe his last. And so he calls for Esau, his son. And he says, son, I want to bless you. I'm about to die. I'm about to leave this world. I'm about to get my blessing, so I want to bless you. But, and as much as so I really like venison, and all the hunters said, would you fix me one more big meal? Would you go out there and get some tender young uh, buck and, and fix me some venison stew, just like I like it now? 
And whenever you get back and I eat that and my soul is satisfied, then I'm going to bless you. Now, we don't put a lot of stock in blessing somebody. We say, bless you. God bless you. You Bless you. Okay? It's bigger than that. Our words have weight. Our words have power. Our words have meaning. And this blessing that Isaac was about to bestow was a meaningful blessing. And so Isaac, I mean, Esau, he, boy, he is, he is about, he, yeah, Dad, I'll go get you some venison. You just wait. I'm going to fix it up right. Well, Rebecca, this is, again, Dr. Phil would have a time. This would be two or three shows, okay, with this family. Rebecca overhears this little tete-a-tete, and she says, mm, I've got to get the blessing for my boy. If you'll notice during this thing, Esau uh, is called, Isaac calls him my son, and Rebecca calls Jacob my son. That's how bad this is. And the whole point of today is, is sometimes during the holidays, we just want everything to be picture perfect. We want Ozzy and Harriet style Christmases. We want, you know, the Brady Bunch where in, in 28 minutes, everything works out just great. And how many of you know, sometimes in 28 minutes, don't even get to the part of the problem. And so sometimes we look at our family and say, why is my family so weird? Why is my family the one that's off? Why is my family the one that's always dramatic and got big things going on instead of us just getting together around the fireplace and, and just enjoying one another's companies? We're always... Well, we hadn't even got to the... in this bunch. Okay? So Rebecca overhears this little conversation, and she runs to Jacob. She says, go out there in the herd, get me two tender young goats, and hurry about it. And... I'm going to get you, my son, your blessing. So Jacob even, he even quizzes her a little bit. This ain't right, Mama. Why are we doing this? Daddy's going to call me over, and he's going to feel the back of my neck and the back of my hands, and he's going to know, would you just get on with it, son? And all the moms said. Sometimes you just <laughs> kind of tell, just get on with it. Do what I said. So he goes out there, gets the little, little goats. She fixes them up. This is where we were back to where we were talking about earlier about how hairy Esau must have been. She takes the hides off of these and makes him gloves and, and sticks them on his hands and takes some of it and wraps around the nape of his neck. And, and, and so this is full-fledged deception. And so he, she prepares the stew, and she knows just how Isaac likes it, so she fixes it just like it's going to just please him to no end, and she sends Jacob in with this meal. And he walks in, and he says, Arise, my father, come and eat. This is good stuff. And Esau says, Who is it? Oh, it's me. It's Esau. Well, how did you kill those little bucks that, that quick? Well, your God must have surely led my path to the, to the deer. And so here I am. Still, Isaac's a little shaky about it. He says, um, it sounds like Jacob, but that venison sure does smell like Esau. Come here. Come, come a little closer. So he comes a little closer, and boy, he, Isaac is, is just checking it out. And he grabs him by the hand. He said, hmm, Esau, come here. Come here and give me a kiss. 
And so he puts his hand on the back of his neck, comes near, and, and Rebecca had even taken time to put the, Esau's best set of suit of clothes on him and everything. So he says, ah, it's my son. It smells like the field. All of you that ever been hunting, you know what Esau smelled like. <laughs> it smells like a, a, a field out in the sunshine. It's just a smell that you get when you're out there in amongst it. And so he gives him the venison. Isaac eats it, says, oh, this is maybe the best I've ever had, so let me bless you now. And he pronounces this awesome blessing on him. Your brother's going to serve you, and you're going to prosper in everything you do, and all these kinds of things, and you can read it. This is, this is actually a, the Reader's Digest condensed version of about seven or eight chapters. It's uh, Genesis 25 through 32. I spared you reading the whole thing, okay? Even though this is a fairly long introduction to a uh, fairly short message. Um, so he pronounces this blessing on him. And this whole time, you know, he's checking him out, make sure he just sounds like Jacob, but he smells like Esau and all this kind of stuff. So he pronounces this blessing on him and Jacob hightails it, Okay. The Bible says, scarcely had he left the tent whenever here comes Esau. Arise, father, I have killed you some venison. Woo, it's going to be good. Who are you? I'm Esau, your son. And it says that Isaac trembled violently. And he says, oh, what have I done? And he said, Dad, what do you mean? He said, well, I just pronounced a blessing evidently on your brother. Well, can it be undone? Can't, can't you give me the same blessing? No, his blessing is going to be fulfilled. Again, our words have weight. Our words have meaning. What we say matters. I've talked about that so often, that, that there is power in this thing right here. Okay? It has meaning. And the thing that we have to understand is when we, when we talk mixed messages, when we say things like, and, and I'm serious, from the time we're born, it comes so natural to us to pronounce the curse and not the blessing. Okay? Just for example, my back is killing me. Okay? Now, what does, is that what's going to kill you? Is that what's going to take you out of this world? Probably not, but it's killing me. Our words have weight. Our words have meaning. Conversely, and this is going to sound weird, but it's just talking about how much easier we can talk about the curse than the blessing. My back is bringing me to life. You say, you're nuts, brother. (laughs) You are absolutely nuts. But it's the difference between death and life. Blessing and cursing. God in the beginning, Deuteronomy 24, 28, and all through there, two or three times he talks about, I give you a choice today. What are you going to choose, life or death, blessing or cursing? And in case you're having trouble, choose life. Because sometimes we don't choose well. And so here's this family, back to our dysfunctional family. Jacob has... Got the blessing, got out of the tent. Esau, here's what's happening. It says, he goes, ah, I cannot believe this. This is twice that he's robbed me. Living up to his name, deceiver. 
He stole my birthright. Now he stole my blessing. Father, don't you have any blessing left? And the blessing that he pronounces, if you've ever read it, is not a real pretty one. You're going to serve your brother. Because <laughs> that's what I done said. And so Esau says, boy, he's going to get his. I am fixing to, my, my dad's about to die here. And as soon as he dies, we're going to make this square. Because I'm fixing to kill him. And Rebecca hears of this. And so what she does is she goes to Isaac and she says, I don't want our son marrying any of these Hittite women that we're living around. Boy, that would be a politically incorrect statement these days, wouldn't it? I don't want them marrying any of these people here. So let's send him away and let's get him some, some, some family, some long distant relatives to marry and Isaac says, okay, I'll go for that. You know, I mean, here he is on his deathbed, and she's bothering him about that. And so they send him away before Esau can kill him. So fast forward a little bit. Isaac, in the meantime, dies. And Jacob is gone. And he goes to family, long-distant family. It's his uncle and, and all those people in that line. And his uncle's name is Laban. And Laban is just as big a cheat as Jacob is. I mean, sometimes these family things, you know, it's not, I don't believe in family curses, but sometimes we learn a way of doing things that creates problems in our life. And so here is, is Laban is just as big a cheater, just as big a deceiver as Jacob is. So these two deceivers meet and it is on. Okay? They're all the time trying to figure out how they're going to better one. And so it ends up that he says, Man, he meets uh, uh, Rachel out by the well and just falls head over heels in love. Girl, I got to marry you. Okay, so he goes and talks to his uncle, and he says, I, I, I want to marry her. What have I got to do to earn this? And he says, well, just work for me for seven years. So he works for him for seven years, tending his sheep, doing all these things. And the time comes for the wedding. Boy, they are fixing to have some kind of hoedown. And they get it all together. And lo and behold, when he wakes up the next morning, he is with the other daughter. I'm telling you, two deceivers <laughs> met. And so Jacob comes, comes swarming out of the tent. And he said, what is up with this? You have deceived me. Hello. You gave me Leah and not Rachel. And our deal was for Rachel. And you gave me Leah. So now what are we going to do? And he said, well, it don't happen that way around here, boy. He said, we got to marry the first daughter first. So guess what? You got a package deal. And consummate your wedding vows for this week. It was a week of celebration in those days. And he said, then I'll give you Rachel. And you work for seven more years. I don't know about y'all, seven years seems like a pretty long time. Amen? So here he is. He's already committed for 14 years, and all these things happen. And during this time, so 14 years get over with, and he's done all that. And he says, okay, I'm going to part ways with you, Unc. Uh, we'll, we'll work out the details later. And so he says, oh, you got to stay. He said, I, during this 14 years, I have seen that God is blessing you. And he's blessing me because he's blessing you, and you're a part of my family now. You're part of my clan. So what can I do? To and during this time, he changes his wages ten times. 
every time Jacob gets blessed, Laban wants his part of it. And he, and he kind of steals something from him. Uh, the first deal was every spotted, speckled, and black sheep and goat are going to be mine. This is Jacob. Laban agrees to it, and the next day he cuts out all the speckled and spotted and black sheep and gives them to his sons. Okay? Deceiver meets deceiver. And I'm not sure which one of these guys had the better deal going on because every one of them got, got over on the other one at some point during this thing. So finally, during this time, Leah, who's the, the, the first daughter, he married her, and, and God, it says that God saw that she wasn't loved, so he started giving her children. And she is a fertile myrtle. Okay, I mean, they can sneeze, and she has a baby. And so the, uh, here we go. She's just, she's just having kids left and right. Rachel can't have any. She's feeling left out. And, and so... Uh, uh, Rachel comes up with this plan. I'm, I'm going to let my handmaids sleep with my husband. I'm going to give him, uh, her to him as wife, and she'll have me some kids. Well, Leah, not to be bettered, does the same thing. So we end up with this whole big clan that's called Israel. I mean, the in-laws, the outlaws, and the in-betweens, the, all that stuff, and it is a mess. Now, don't you feel already better about your family? That's, that's my whole point for today, to feel better about where you're at. So this gets us to the crux of the matter. This, this, that was all introduction, but as I got to thinking about it, it didn't make sense not to talk about it. Because in, in time, this is what transpires. Finally, Jacob, in all of his deceiving ways, whenever Laban kept cutting out the ones that were supposed to be his and everything, it says that he would take poles and he would stripe them and whenever the, uh, it would affect how the mating cycles of the sheep were and they produced speckled and spotted and striped and black. And so all at once, Laban's flocks have gone to nearly nothing and Jacob's is really, really big. And it says that Jacob began to sense that he was getting on his uncle's nerves and that this is not going to be long till things get ugly. And his, Laban's kids were saying, uh, Jacob stole all of our father's you know, stock and all this kind of stuff. So he says, hey, talks to his wife, and he said, gals, I, I think it's time we pack it up and go home. 20 years later. Look at your neighbor and say, 20 years has transpired. Okay? So he loads up the wagons, and, and even Rachel got in on the deception. She stole these little idols that her father had, and there's a, there's a whole big thing that you can read about. So he pursues them. God speaks to him and says, don't, don't say anything to him. Don't bother him. Don't say anything good. Don't say anything bad. Just let him alone. And Laban comes and says, I would have killed you all, but God spoke to me. Let's set up a pile of rocks here. You don't cross it this way, and I won't cross it your way. You ever had a strained relationship like that? Where it's just like, hey, let's agree to disagree here. <laughs> and so he goes home. Home. It's not like it was before, 20 years later. I mean, you, you, you think about, I hadn't, I hadn't been up to Kentucky in two years. Things changed. There were some things that were new, some things that were different. Can you imagine being gone 20 years and going home? And so he's pondering this, 
Esau was going to kill me. Esau's mad at me. This is not going to be good, but I got to get out of here. I got to go home. In essence, he had, it had run its course. And sometimes, you know, it's a big old circle, but it all comes back around. And so here's Jacob, and he's taking all of his stock, uh, you know, livestock, taking all of his stuff, and he's heading back home. And here he sent out some people ahead of him, and they come back, and they said, Esau is coming our way. Aren't you happy? And he's got 400 people with him, too. 400 look like soldiers. Hmm, this may not end well. So he splits all of his people into two camps, and then he starts sending livestock. And this is, this is a list. I just made a list so that we can kind of get the scope of this thing. He started sending out his, his helpers, his servants, with gifts. And he says to himself, maybe perhaps if I send enough gifts, it'll pacify Esau's heart not to kill me. Because he's already swore he's going to kill him when he saw him. Okay? But he sent 220 goats in the first bunch and told the servants to say, hey, Jacob's right behind us and, and he's looking forward to seeing you. Here's your gift, 220 goats. Then he sends some more servants and they bring 220 sheep. And they say, hey, Jacob's right behind us and he is really looking forward to seeing you. <laughs> then he sent 30 camels. Same message. Then he sent 50 cows. Same message. Then he sent 30 donkeys. Same message. And then all this big tribe of kids and grandkids that he's got by now in his 20 years, he sends them across. And you just have to say, man, get it together. You should be leading this, not sending your wives and your kids to do your business. But anyway, that's, that's another little sidetrack that we could take. So he sends everybody on ahead of him, and he comes, when he comes to this river, which is Jabbok, which means in the original language, emptying, emptying out. And what it amounts to, he sent all of his livestock, all of his servants, and all of his family, and he is left alone. Now there's a great significance in him being emptied out. He's at Jabbok, emptying. And he lies down that night, and I'm sure it was a restless sleep because he's wondering about how the next day is going to transpire. And suddenly there's this man that appears, and they wrestle. Now, whether this man was an incarnate Christ or it was an angel or it was God himself, we, we could spend the rest of the day and next Sunday arguing that point and trying to make our points about it. It says man, Okay. A man appeared, and they started wrestling. That's the whole point of this message being titled Wrestling Lessons. And we're going to get into that next week. How, how, to, how to keep from wrestling with God. Because you always come out on the short end of the stick. Amen? Because <laughs> it's just like, okay, it's just like uh, how many of you ever wrestled on the floor with your kids? And you'd get down there, and you'd fake, like, you know, Jesse, Jesse especially got into it more than Hannah. Hannah, sometimes she'd get into it, but Jesse, boy, he was, he was you know, kicking and kneeing and hitting, and, boy, I'd like, ooh, you know, and I'd feign getting hurt, and I'd fall down, and, boy, he'd be victorious. And then eventually, I'd just, just to let him know who was really boss, you know, you get over on him a little bit and all that kind of stuff. So this is the way it is with God. You're never going to out-wrestle God. 
You can wrestle with him, but you're always going to come out. And, of course, we know the end of the story. They wrestle all night. And this is what the angel said. Well, tell me your name. Mm-mm. I ain't going to say it. Oh, you're going to tell me your name. Or this ain't going to end well. What's your name? Deceiver. He was at the emptying point. He had come to the end of himself and has to come to the realization, I'm a deceiver. And so he wrestles all night, and he finally, the angel says, well, the sun's about to come up, i got to go. And Jacob gets a hold of him and says, you ain't going to leave till you bless me. You know my name now and all this kind of stuff. But this is where he changes his name. Now your name is Israel. And you're a prince with God. Changed his whole outlook, changed his whole whole scheme of things, changed, changed everything about him. And he went ahead and just, just so you could see who's really the one that's got the power in this, touched him in the hip, and forevermore he walks with a limp. Okay? I have a personal little attachment to that part of the story. (laughs) Only I got the new one. (laughs) All right, so here's the deal. And yes, this is all introduction, and we'll get into the rest of the message next week. But my deal was this. I got to thinking about how many of us eliminate God using us? How many of us have, have said, boy, I wish I could be like them. I wish, I've, I've actually had people, I wish I could look holy. That they'd say, I wish I could have that holy look, but I feel so unworthy. I wish I could, I wish I could do stuff like this person does it. But I just feel like I'm just going to get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. I wish I could do great things for God, but you don't know my past and you don't know where I I came from. You don't know my family and how out of sorts they are. And the whole thing was, during this holiday season, we're going to be with family and we're going to be mingling and, and, and getting with people. You know, there's sometimes you've got family that you get together once or twice a year with and that's about it because that's all you can stand. Amen? You don't have to shake your head or nod. I know there's some people here like that. And sometimes we say, how on earth did I get born into this barrel of nuts? I mean, here's, <laughs> here, there's, sometimes there's flakes and some, sometimes there's nuts. Okay? We've all got some of those in our family. We've got some, some nuts and we've got some flakes. And when you put those all together... It's granola. <laughs> and sometimes some of us come from families that are the real granola. <laughs> and that's, you know, here's the thing. God doesn't disallow you being used just because you were born into a certain family. You may have even in your life been the one that was causing the drama. You may have been the one that was a deceiver. You may have been the one that was causing all the grief. Maybe you got on drugs maybe you got on alcohol maybe 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 you cheated and it blew your marriage up or whatever and and now you're saying oh god i wish you could use me somehow again 
And I was looking at this family, and I thought, what an absolute picture of God's grace and his mercy and his long patience with us. He is 60 years old. 60 years of being the deceiver. And God takes the rest of his life and says, now you're going you're gonna to do it my way. What a picture of God's grace and mercy and love. And so the thing that I want you to get today, if you don't get anything else, and you can go read all this yourself. Again, it's in Genesis 25 through about 32. God doesn't care what your past is like. He's a big boy and he can overcome it. The only thing we have to do is come to that point of being emptied out. As I've said a million times, being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And he named this place, after he'd wrestled all this, he named it Penuel. And Penuel means facing God. Sometimes we got to empty it all out, and sometimes we got to face God. And you know what? He is a loving, merciful God. So the thing is, you might be 60 years old this morning. You might be 20 years old. You might be 15. But if you're at that point where you're saying, I want to be emptied out, and God, would you fill me back up with your presence, with your spirit, so that I can do something for the kingdom while I'm here on this earth. How much ever longer I'm here, I want this to be the day that I empty it all out and I face God.